and welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast where we talk about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm Becky and I'm looking at my podcast Marie across the Zoom. How are you doing hey. today? Hey, podcast. What's up? Hey, podcast. You know, Marvel uh, shirt. I love it. Yeah, this is like my uh, comfy COVID shirt. It's very loose. Like when all this is over, I hope this doesn't like give you PTSD to pull out your Marvel shirt. Yeah, no, I'll keep the marble. I learned a valuable lesson a while back because I dieted and exercised like hardcore. Like I was insane. And I, I mean, I'm not a small person. I'm five foot eight. How tall are you? You're taller than me by like an inch. Five ten. Yeah, this isn't an issue between us, I believe. I will always be taller than you until some horrible accident. I know, it really annoys me. It annoys me. <laughs> but um, I feel like... I have a presence though that's equally tall to yours. <laughs> like I feel like I'm your height when I'm around you. I don't know what it is. Maybe you, do you imbue that in me? I don't know. Oh yeah, I, I just make everybody around me shine more. That's that's my superpower. <laughs> that's your superpower. You're welcome. <laughs> I gain two inches when I'm around you. <laughs> anyway, that's what he said. Okay. Uh, yikes! Oh. All right. <laughs> Are you? Do I ask you a fear, or do you want to talk, and then I'll ask you? No, I'm going to tell you my fear. It's just a... All right, what are you fearing taking today? Taking me a minute to get there. <laughs> <laughs> I had a point and you just totally derailed me. I'm so sorry. What was I talking about before you... Training. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is very important for people during coronavirus to hear this. Because I was training and working out and I went from like a size 10 to a size 6. And I was like, I'm a size 6 now. Fuck all these size 10 clothes. <laughs> right? So... Oh get rid of them I got rid of them oh big mistake so always keep some expansion clothes that's all I'm saying You're, okay so that's weird for, for me because my weight has always fluctuated like I will be a four and a 12 within like a, a month and a half of, so <laughs> but seriously it's always been so I always have clothes of all these different sizes you don't have that where you fluctuate like that no, no. For years, I would probably say my ideal weight is an eight. And it looks, you know, weight looks differently on everybody. Like I'm like 90% legs. My belly button is like close to underneath my neck. So, you know, it's like, it just looks different on me than it looks on other people. So, and when I got into my thirties, I was like creeping up 10, 12. And then, so a six was even small for me in general. But once I hit it, I was like, yep, that's, I'm a six now. I don't need all these big clothes. Forever and ever. This is the new me. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. So now, so now it's like when I put on my jeans, it's like I'm in danger of getting like deep vein thrombosis (laughs) and like (laughs) having a brain hemorrhage. So (laughs) I get those Levi's stretch jeans off Amazon because those those live with you through a, a four to a 10. Well, that's not my fear today. Anyway. Oh, what is your fear today? This is going back to the QAnon thing because people on Facebook that I know are posting ridiculous memes. And so it reminded me a while back, I had a friend at work, I'd come into work and she would always tell me about the latest thing she'd seen on the internet, right? One day she goes, you're not going to believe this, but on May 23rd, we're going to lose gravity for two seconds. I said, what? You haven't read about it? The earth is going to lose gravity for like two seconds. I go, I don't know where you read that, but that is totally false. And sure enough, I looked it up on the internet and there was this like thing going around on Facebook saying we were going to lose gravity for two seconds. 
sometime in May. And I'm like, okay, the consequences of that are just like a few people get embarrassed. Maybe somebody buys like an oxygen machine and chains themselves to a heavy object on that date. I don't know. Low consequences. But then I see this meme on Facebook the other day in light of our QAnon podcast. And it's an ad that you can see when you scroll down, someone circled the message, but it's um, it's a man holding a little girl's hand and it says, pedophilia is a natural sexual orientation. It is our responsibility to reflect and overcome our negative feelings about pedophilia. And then there's logos for all these organizations like TED and NAMBLA and stuff. And then if you- God. Right, that's, that's anybody's reaction, right? And then you see a message from Facebook that says, Thanks for letting us know about this. The photo was reviewed. It doesn't go against any of our specific community standards, so on and so forth. So this is being passed around on the internet to show that Facebook is okay with pedophilia posts. So this article that I sent you was just a quick search I did on the internet that debunks everything about it. It Uh shows you the stock photography image. It shows you that the Ted and Namble logos are not even legit. It's just a total falsification. And people are pushing this stuff forward on Facebook. So all I'm asking is, this has nothing to do with your political views or anything like that. All I'm asking people is, people, if you see something that is just so far out, like Facebook is cool with pedophilia being a natural sexual orientation, look it up. Just research it. (laughs) I mean, I am speechless. I don't think the world has gotten so crazy that Facebook is cool with pedophilia. No. And why is it, like we said the other day, so many things, it's, why is it so appealing to believe such nonsense? Why is it easier to believe that than it is to believe that somebody just photoshops and shit? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So it just, what scares me, what my fear is, if I can encapsulate it, is, is two things. One, that people have become so cynical about society that they believe that you could post pedophilia as a natural sexual orientation and that would be cool with Facebook. But the flip side is that people are so confused right now about what to block and what not to block and what's free speech and what's misinformation that it's gonna lead to something bad. (laughs) Yeah. And I I don't know what the answer is except for regular people need to understand that it's not the same world anymore that because something is published it doesn't mean that it's factual but i also think that politicians and people in positions of authority and power need to also take responsibility for the decisions that they make and make sure that they're being consistent and that they're not protecting themselves and their wealth as opposed to doing what's right well i wish i don't think that's ever gonna happen though I really don't. I mean, that's cynical as fuck, but I don't at all. I just, I don't. I think we're at a place where it's too far gone. Everyone's just so fucking craven out there, you yeah. know? And then not only are people who have power and money craven, but then they have people who have no money and power arguing for them. Like, it's okay to argue for the wealthy to get wealthier, but if a working class person wants a living wage, then they're greedy. Like, but those are the poor people arguing for that. That's right. the thing that everything is so upside down. So yeah. I, mean, I don't want to be a, a downer, but I don't know, man. All right. You're banned from saying Craven for the rest of the episode. <laughs> oh, goodness. Craven. Okay. The word of the day brought to you by Becky Harris. <laughs>
You are welcome. So can you come up with something scarier to talk about? <laughs> Please, scare me. I don't what know. are you scared? I never ask you this because I care. What are you scared of? What do you fear? Question. Sorry. What do you, <laughs> Becky? What are you fearing today? Hold on. Let me do it again. Becky, what are you fearing today? Besides the word crazy. We shall continue. She looks totally like a like a therapist. She's got her spectacles and she's leaning into the camera and she's like, "Tell me how you're really feeling about that, Becky." That's what it. That's what it feels like. So, what am I fearing today? Yeah, I am fearing creepy stalkers mm, as opposed to non-creepy stalkers as opposed to the friendly neighborhood stalker i'm fearing stalkers and i'm fearing all these creepy stories about stalkers where people have gone to the police and weren't believed and statistically speaking how many people who are stalked end up dead and there's different studies that show different numbers but up to 94 percent of homicide cases involving women there was stalking involved in the year leading up to it that was a new study. So today I'm fearing stalkers and I will get started on that topic by first confessing one thing. I've never been stalked as far as I know. So let's continue that streak. But <laughs> I do know people who are stalked by strangers and exes. But what about you? What is your experience with friends or yourself in terms of stalking? You know how we ended up, I guess I should reveal to you, you know how we ended up becoming friends. I stalked you for about a year before. <laughs> in my basement. I just didn't want you to feel left out that you had not talked. I mean, I know. <laughs> so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> no, I've, I have experienced varying degrees of stalking, not just from men, but also from women. I, I do think that women stalk people as well. The difference is that when men stalk people, it often leads to violence or sexual violence. Whereas when women stalk people it usually leads to like more bullying or reputation running or attacks in that way so do you want to give a detail on yeah so i have this thing i think i've mentioned it to you before i call it my cradar i i've honed it over the years because i am an extroverted person and i i try to be friendly with everybody so especially when i was younger i mean if i was on the bus with with somebody and strike up a conversation or I'd be out there at a store and strike up a conversation. And what I realized is that when you have a conversation with some people, you immediately become their best friend. Like, and I'm not being rude. There are a lot of people out there that don't have close friendships. They don't have intimate conversations with people. And I don't talk about the weather. I immediately go to talking about things that interest me. And I have made friendships with women thinking it's a casual connection but they see me as their best friend and I do not and then it becomes a situation where the person is constantly contacting me uh constantly showing up places where I am and it becomes a problem and for you this was just a casual friendship would you even like go out with a group with this person or was this ever um, you, once a month you just meet him for a coffee or yeah it was very very casual like I wouldn't have considered the person to be a close friend but I would consider them to be a friend you if know? you invited him to a party to them it's like marriage proposal right right I mean I actually had somebody say I don't care if I have any other friends as long as you're my friend. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> that's me running to the hills. Or that comment. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So 
that was the first lesson that I learned was one is trust your instincts. Cause I've never had a situation where I met somebody, I thought they were cool. I wanted to be buds with them. And then they became a stalker. It was always, I met somebody, I was a little bit on the fence, but they wore me down and I hung out with them and now they're a stalker. So it's the same thing with guys. I think that you get a warning signal and you either ignore it or you don't. The first instance of stalking that I experienced was I had met this guy, a church youth group event, and there's this song that we would sing at these church youth groups events. And it's kind of creepy. All these church songs are creepy when you think about them, but the song kind of goes like, give a friend a hug, give a friend a hug next to you, give a friend a hug and sing la la. This is a song that you're singing. And it was like, shake a friend's hand, shake a hand next to you, right? Wow. And there were all these like- Church of Christ got the sexy song. (laughs) So we're at this youth group event and we're singing this song. And I saw this guy and I thought he was cute. And I was like, tell my friend, when they get to the give a friend a hug thing, I'm just going to like go over there and give him a hug and just see what happens, right? So I did it. And then he liked that I came over and gave a friend a hug. And we talked afterwards. He told me where he worked. And so I met him up there one day and we hung out and I liked him. It wasn't love, but I liked him. I thought this guy I might want to date. So I invited him to go on this church youth group trip to Six Flags. And when we got to Six Flags, I barely know this guy, by the way, right? Every five minutes, he was pulling me into a passionate kiss. I was gone on a date? Never gone on a date. Like every five minutes, he was trying to yank me in. You've never even been alone with the guy. No. (laughs) God. Everybody in the youth group that I'm friends with is like shocked by this, right? They're like, what is going on? And I mean, I was practically like batting him away. I was you. Yeah. 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 There was even a, a guy, a friend of mine from church that like confronted him about it. And they almost got into it, like some altercation. It was kind of like church boys fighting are kind of like cats fighting, you know? They it's were adorable like, until we're going to take this outside. Oh yeah, well, I'm going to take you outside, but no, nothing yeah. ever went outside. But anyway. Well, you're at Six Flags. You're already outside. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. So it's going the obvious, but. Yeah. And on these church trips too, like all the couples would get in the back of the van and, you know, make out or whatever. And I don't want to make out with this guy. He's like creeping me out, you know? And we're sitting in the back of the van, but I'm (laughs) sitting there like, how can I get away from this person? Yeah. And he pulls a photograph out of his wallet and he starts to tell me about how he was in a relationship with this girl and she was the love of his life and they broke up and he thought he would never find someone again. And now he's found me. And then he rips the picture of his girlfriend in half. Oh no. And I was like, what is happening (laughs) right red flags and then we got red flags totally totally so then after that i just started ignoring his calls and stuff so then he was like constantly cycling around my house and like coming to my house and he was calling at one point he left a giant purple stuffed ape on my door like oh he knows the way to your heart Um, a giant purple ape that was giant wins you over stuffed purple ape yeah so we had a talk one time when he came over we had a talk and I was like look 
I really just see this isn't going anywhere. And he was like, I know I've been a, a aggressive or whatever, but I, I just want to even be friends with you. And I'm like, all right, we can be friends. So I went to the movies with them. And the minute we got to the movies, it was like the whole like trying to jump me thing. And I was like, I want to go home. And then when I started to get out of his car, he tried to keep me from getting out of his car physically. And then that's when I was like, we're done. No more contact, yeah. you know. And then another time, once I was in college, there was a guy that fixated on me at a mixer and would sit by me whenever he could in the cafeteria. And I tried to be nice to him, but he started telling everybody I was his girlfriend, which I was not. And then when it was found out that I was not his girlfriend, he aggressively started spreading rumors about me. And then he would show up at my dorm room and beg me to be his girlfriend and he just wouldn't leave me alone. In fact, at one point, because he was involved in ROTC, because my dad was in the military, my mom was like, do you want your father to reach out to his ROTC supervisor and say something, you know? Right. And at the time I was like, well, no, I don't want to get him in trouble. I just want him to leave me alone. You yeah. know, many women have said that about men who were stalking them. But that was a, with both of these guys. I had no animus towards them at all. In fact, they both have very good qualities. They both have things about them that I liked, but they spoiled it by being really aggressive and creeping me out. Either one of them, if, if they had just acted normal, they might've had a chance with me because a lot of times guys will be like, well, I got mixed signals. Well, I did like you in the beginning, but then you started acting like a rapist. <laughs> And then I was not interested in you anymore, you know. Maybe that's an overstatement, but aggressive, very aggressive. We'll just put it that way. So I think I learned from those situations to be a little bit more guarded in terms of how I am with all people, right? But I don't want to just stick on my story. So let's talk about your stories and then... Well, there's so many different categories of stalking in terms of the relationship between or the perceived relationship between the the stalker and the stalkee. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you choose which one's creepier, if you know who it is or if you don't. Or you could just tell me which one you want to talk about first. Um, probably people that you know, because there does tend to be a level of trust there. And then if you find out that you can't trust someone that you think you're close with or that you know, then I think it shakes your foundation a little more. You know, they might both be equally as terrifying. So here's what I'll do. I'm going to start with this, a definition of stalking. And I'm not going to argue with your experience to say, oh yeah, that wasn't stalking. Okay. I'm just going to tell you some of the technical definitions of stalking. I will put these sources on our website, but there's a couple of different ones. The idea of stalking has to do with a pattern of behavior directed at a person that causes fear for their safety. Now, there is also something called obsessive relational intrusion, which has to do with an unwelcome communication or contact that you don't want that is merely annoying and a little bit disruptive and maybe it pisses you off, but you're not fearing for your personal safety necessarily. So that to me is a gray area between this, what we call ORI, obsessive relational intrusion, versus stalking because yeah. if it's disrupting your life I don't think it, you have to feel fear for your safety but in terms of the legal definition it has right. to do you know whether or not it's inducing fear in you um, their intrusion into your life and their behaviors and their communications are designed to terrorize you 
In terms of oh, Stalking Resource Center, that's my source. Here's some statistics and they vary widely. The CDC and the Stalking Resource Center kind of conflict in their numbers, but it's still pretty big numbers. CDC says one in six women will experience stalking during their lifetime. Stalking Resource Center says one in 12 women. But statistically speaking, it's one out of either six or 12 women. Let's say one out of eight or nine, just split the difference. So it's actually pretty common. And 20% of those are stranger stalkings. The rest are exes or people that you try to get out of your life or people that you work with. It's very, very common. And in fact, there is a strong correlation between mass murders, especially those at a workplace, and a man stalking a woman in that workplace. So if you look at some of the postal killings in the 80s, if you look at one of the mass murders in a workplace that happened in Northern California in Silicon Valley, Richard Farley stalked a woman that he worked with named Laura. Like he would find out where she lived when she moved. He'd find out where she did yoga and he'd walk by the window. He got a key to her home that he stole from her desk. And he would always manage to find her no matter what. He would show up outside her house. Eventually he ended up losing his job over it. And so this is one of the last letters he wrote her. Dear Laura, it's time to remove the kid gloves. It's my option to make your life miserable if that is what you really want. I told you if I get fired or lose my clearance, I can force you to go out with me. You asked me what I would do, kill you? And the answer was, and still is no. If I killed you, you would not be able to regret what you did. I have your parents' address, so what if you run? I'm ready to follow. I'm selling my houses, I've closed my retirement fund and sold my stock. I can go real quick. Let's say you don't back down and pretty soon I crack under the pressure, run amok, destroying everything in my path until the police catch me and kill me. Take care, Rick. That was just one of the many, many terrifying letters that he wrote to her. So eventually she actually filed the restraining order. He went quiet for months and months and then showed up at the workplace, armed to the teeth and mowed people down. I think he shot 14 people, seven died. He shot Laura, but she lived. She was in the hospital for a long time, but she lived. Do you remember the Annapolis paper where there's seven people who were murdered in a workplace killing two years ago? There, that was also a stalking situation where a guy had been rejected. And the newspaper had reported on all the court filings that his victim had done, and he took it out on the newspaper. So there's a big correlation between mass killings and domestic violence. Like back in, in the 80s, one of the big, big, big mass shootings was at a McDonald's. That was because his wife had left him and the Sulphur Springs killings, mass killings about three years ago in Texas at a church. That was a domestic, she'd have left him because he was an abuser. And there's a lot of cases that connect stalking of an object of desire that rejected you or an ex that you actually did date. And then leads to either mass murder or murder of the person who's the target of your obsession. Do you know anything about the case Cindy James Hack? No. So in 82, she began receiving harassing phone calls. And over the next seven years, I'm just going to give you a kind of a rundown of things that would happen. She would call the police during these times. But again, think about it, early 80s, even to the late 80s, before the end of this, there were no laws protecting her at all, okay? And so dead cats were found in her garden three different times. Creepy notes appeared in her doorstep, phone calls, heavy breathing, death threats, one night, her friend Agnes knocked on her door, couldn't find her, and walked around to the back of the house and found Cindy with a, a black nylon stocking wrapped around her neck. She was hiding from her attacker who had fled, presumably when he heard Agnes knock on the door. Notes were found on her car. One of them had a picture of her body in a coffin or heading into a morgue. Her dog was attacked. 
um, they didn't kill the dog, but the dog was attacked. So it would happen for a few months and then it would stop. It was psychological torture. And so after one incident, she called the police and the responding officer, whose name was McBride, he suggested maybe it was her ex-husband. And she, she says, no, I don't, I don't think that it could be him. That doesn't make any sense. He's a doctor. Why would he do this? Well, she starts dating this guy, the cop, and he moves in with her for protection. And soon after, he goes into the alleyway at night to do a patrol, and he finds her ex in the alleyway armed with a handgun and a rifle. Now, the ex said, oh, I'm here to protect her, too. I'm making sure nobody's messing with her. This is the doctor. Mm-hmm. So she finds a picture of a corpse under her windshield of her car. Her phone lines are always cut. The police can find no clues. They don't believe her. They start to believe she's staging all of these things. So disturbing pictures arrive in the mail. Her new boyfriend, McBride, finds a note from a cutout with letters on her lawn. Pictures of corpses, knives, women with their faces scratched out. So she did all the right things, quote unquote, changed her name. She moved during this time. She moved like six. Dating a cop. I, I don't know if that's on. Yeah, any- like, what do you need? Yeah. Right? He even had her car repainted so the doctor would know what her car looked like. But he would always find her again. And police still didn't believe her. So she hires a PI named, it's a great PI name, Ozzy Caban. Okay. Yeah, I want to well, isn't that a great name for a yeah. PI? Like, I want him on my case. So he gives her a two-way radio and a panic button. And so one night he hears weird noises over the two-way radio and he rushes over to her house and he finally breaks down the door and he finds her laying there, nylon stocking around her neck and a knife stabbed through her hand like she had protected herself from a knife. Mm-hmm. And another note threatening her life. The note said, you are dead, bitch. One of the things that's very strange is that when the police would do things like set up a wiretap on her phone and they would actually surveil her house, nothing ever happened. And so part of the theory as to who was doing this was maybe it's somebody involved in the police. Did they know the police movements? I don't know. But the police said, no, that's proof that she's staging it. So another attack. In total, I think before the end of this, there are five or six attacks. Another attack, she was found nearly frozen with hyperthermia in a ditch six miles from her home. She had a black nylon stocking around her neck, a black eye, other injuries. She was wearing only a man's work boot and a glove. There were other fires in her home, which police believe she'd set herself other bizarre incidents, nearly all of which involved her having a stocking around her neck. And so seven years of this just deteriorated her. At one point she tries suicide and then her doctor hospitalizes her for mental health for like 10 weeks and all these things. So the police still think she's making all this stuff up. Well, in May of 89, one day she went grocery shopping and went to deposit her paycheck and she never made it home. Nobody can find her. Two weeks went by and she was found in the front yard of an abandoned house in a quote, rather high traffic area that has lots of pedestrians. And she had been hogtied with her feet and her hands behind her back. She had been strangled with black nylon stocking and they found pinpricks on her arms. And the autopsy revealed that she had actually died of an overdose of morphine. The police ruled it a suicide. How do you, how do you hogtie yourself? This is me shrugging. But first of all, morphine was found nowhere near her. There was no needle, there was no nothing. They found she died the day she disappeared. The autopsy said she'd been dead for two weeks. So what, she was in this high-trafficked area and nobody saw her for two weeks? It was the middle of May. It's gorgeous in Vancouver. Like, people are walking around everywhere. So the Vancouver coroner ruled her death was not suicide, not an accident, and not murder, claiming she died of an unknown event. But who could have done this, you know? Who could have done this? Turns out, at first, she didn't tell the police. 
that she really thought maybe it was her ex-husband, but she was scared of what would happen if they started investigating him. But the police did investigate him and determined that he wasn't involved. I don't know how they determined that, but they said, no, it's not him. Um, but here's one of the things that's really interesting is that during her stalking for seven years, one of the things that would happen is her garden would be destroyed. Somebody would just, just take it apart. And she wrote in her journal that she suspected her ex-husband had done that because one of the things he would do during their abusive marriage was, was he would destroy her garden that she had been planting. So that case is really disturbing in large part for me because the police were more interested in disproving her claims than really investigating it and figuring out, you know, where was the ex-husband on these nights and why was he walking through her alleyway with guns and whatever? So they didn't investigate it, see who murdered her. Her arms and legs were tied behind her back, Marie. Yeah, that's crazy. This is curious to me because, you know, in the beginning you were talking about like the definition of say an obsessive relationship thing and then stalking as being something different. And I think this is the case with all sexual predators that some of their early behavior is preparation for later behavior it is. in some way. You're right. And, and I think that's the case for, for women as well, because I definitely think when I was younger, I was super naive. And in one of the cases, I might not have been scared because I wasn't considering the possibilities. Like it didn't even occur to me that this could escalate to something like me being murdered. Do you know what I'm saying? And so while most of the behavior that occurred was annoying, as opposed to me feeling in danger, I definitely think there were times where I had that feeling in the pit of my stomach, though. Like, when you're at a bar with friends and that guy is always there. Do you know what I'm saying? Or Did that happen to you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you, you go to a restaurant or you're with your boyfriend somewhere or whatever, and the guy just happens to be there, right? And it's always a coincidence. I don't know that the person is trying to instill fear in me, per se. I don't know if that's their intention. Well, it might not be because one of the definitions I, that I just read of stalking states that it causes fear. Whether or not it's your intention to cause fear is not necessarily important because some stalkers really just want a relationship with you and don't get that they're causing that, that they're causing fear. Right. And so they think, well, if I just write her another letter, or if I give her more purple apes, then she'll suddenly start loving me. They right. don't, they're really bad at relationships. They don't read signals. They think that they're doing what they should be. Like doing. one thing, but one thing that's like super creepy about this one guy I was telling you about is I thought the whole affair was over. And then months, months and months later, he got a hold of my address at home and wrote me a letter about how he had a, a new girlfriend, which first of all, I was never his girlfriend, that he had a new girlfriend and she was so much better than me and she treated him well and blah, 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 and yada, yada. The thing that, that thinking about it now that's frightening is you think it's over, but the person is still months later coming up with a, a freaking letter. So that's the thing that I think that's frightening is you just, you don't know that this is continuing to go on and bounce around in their head. Mm -hmm. And I think the natural reaction of women, or at least my natural reaction was to be passive. I'll just be passive and it will go away. 
as opposed to being aggressive about it and angering the person or making it worse, right? Well, we are definitely going to talk about ways to handle these situations if you are ever faced with them. Some do's and don'ts. I'm going to get to that. Okay. I used to teach this stuff, a lot of research into it. Now, there's another case I wanted to talk about, the story of what happened to Maria Jimenez Rodriguez. So she's a single mother a few years ago um, in the Houston area. And one day her daughter was at the babysitter and people at her work started getting strange text messages. They're like, I'm not coming in and all these things. And she just disappeared off the face of the earth that day. And the person who claims to be her boyfriend, Eric Arsenault, claims at that time that he hadn't seen him in as, but that the two were a dating couple. However, her friends and family say that is absolutely not true. He wanted to date her. He was a personal trainer that she had met, and he had been stalking her for a while, and he called himself her boyfriend. And one of the things that experts tell you about stalking situations where there is a romantic pursuit of you is it does escalate with the things like you said, with gifts and the little things and the bigger things and da, 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 da. So there might be letters and love letters and poems. And then there's little gifts and bigger things and all these, you know. So one of the things her sister said is after her sister disappeared, she said, I found lots of letters from him and lots of gifts, small gifts and disturbing letters, she said, all from this guy, Eric, and they never dated. Well, the police talked to him. He said he'd, he hadn't seen her that day. However, cell phone records show that Maria's phone and his phone were together at his house on the day she disappeared. Police found a surveillance video showing him walking away from her truck where he parked it on Port Street. Later that same day, he was seen leaving a Home Depot with a chainsaw and trash bags. Jeez. So it's either Walmart or Home Depot, people. The murderers always go to Walmart or Home Fucking Depot and get the creepy things, but a chainsaw? So that's why they say that they believe he dismembered her and that he put her in trash bags, but she's never been found. And that asshole has not been found either. He disappeared and they have not found him. But cases like hers piss me off. That there's a tendency for the police to especially not believe women of color. That is a big fucking problem. And I'm not suggesting that was the case here. I will tell you, statistically speaking, women of color are not treated the same way as white women are or Caucasian women are, especially in these situations. It's not perfect. Of course, what happened with that woman, Cindy, was a, a blonde lady in Canada. And they treated her like she was a hysterical, ridiculous woman, too. But I hate that stuff when you can see, you can see it coming. You can see it like a fucking train coming. Right. Well, I, you know, you're talking about something extreme, but I've experienced it in my own life, which is male doctors, plumbers, uh, people that come out to service my air conditioning. I can just tell the ones that can't stand the sound of a woman's voice. Like I've had people come out to do service on the house and all I'm doing is just explaining what the problem is and their face is shriveling up and they're annoyed and it's just, they don't want to be spoken to by a woman. It's weird. It's a real thing though. Mm -hmm. Cause like, I've never been like an aggressive Karen or anything with like a person that comes to my house to do work. I'm literally just explaining the but problem. Doesn't this all go back to usually like when somebody says patriarchy, I get sleepy, but doesn't this all come down to what we've always as women faced is men are used to being in charge. 
they see things in a certain way, especially when it comes to, let's say, sexual assault or women who are victims of things. And we still look for a way to, to blame the women. We don't want to listen. We don't like it. You know, one of the things I'll never forget is one of the victims of the Golden State Killer, the police came the next morning after she was raped for hours and kept asking her, who did this? Who did this? Who did this? Who did this? She kept saying, I don't know who did this. First of all, he had a mask on. Second of all, he's not a friend of mine who I invited over. It's just a guy who showed up at my house at midnight. Right in the fucking window. I mean, think about this is the attitude that we face right. as women. The laws uh, haven't caught up with this stuff. I mean, still to this day, you know? Anyway, so like I said before, 20% of stalkings are by strangers and not necessarily someone that you know in your life. I knew someone who was being stalked when we were in college and she wasn't a good friend, but we were in a study group together. So we go to her house to study with a few people. You know what a study group is, I don't need a man to explain that. But we would go to her house <laughs> One time we'd been there a few times and she says, and she just mentions that she's being stalked. She just mentions it. It's just, she's like, yeah, there's somebody. And I go, who's doing that? She goes, I don't know. And she was a singer. And so she believes it was a fan that somehow followed her home from a club one night or something like that, you know, but she didn't know. And she said, they'll get into my house sometimes. What? She said, yeah, I'll come home sometimes and stuff will be moved around my house. Like something that I know I put in the kitchen, like a pot or a pan would show up in my living room. And, and I'm like, you live by yourself. What are you talking about? And she's, well, I live next door to a cop. So I just, if I run over there, you know, but that was my first experience with like a stranger stalking where you just don't know who it is. And you, so if you see the person in the crowd, you don't even know that you're supposed to be creeped out. You just don't even know. Yeah. I mean, I think that that goes to the the point that I was making earlier, which is whether somebody takes action or not this idea of like ruining someone's life making them constantly be on edge and i mean that's a crime to me that's a crime that's a violation well that's exactly what this guy was doing i mean that's the definition of stalking isn't it he wanted them to feel fear he wanted to be in control so we could go into like the richard farley thing where he stalked that woman laura that he worked with and he wanted to date her and I'm going to go back to, because I want to give some tips about how to handle some of these situations. I'm going to go back to what you said about how women want to be nice or we, we don't want to let the guy down rough and all these things. But one of the things that Laura did was that she was trying to be nice to him at first. And so what she did was try to treat him the way that she had been experiencing other men in her life who were rational, who would understand when she was hedging and rejecting. Like, here's one of the ones where he is completely irrational. This is one of the stories that he did to her. He said, Laura, I got tickets to a concert tomorrow night. You know, will you go with me? And she said, no, I'm, I, uh, I wish I could, but I've got plans. So he hears, I wish I could, and she's coming with me. Well, when work happened the next Monday, he's like, you said you go to the concert with me. She goes, I never said that. But then it's in his head, he hears she wants to come with me, and that's all he hears. Right. So people who have that mentality that absolutely detached from the reality of relationships and communication that you and I understand as adults, which is when somebody says, I wish I could, but I can't, we really understand I can't because I don't want to. We get that. But people who have Richard Farley's mentality, they don't have that. So if she says, for instance, I have a boyfriend, which at one point she did or something, he would he would think, oh, well, I'll just wait around until the boyfriend's gone. Or I'm not ready for a boyfriend right now. They only hear right now. There was a Law and Order episode I used to quote to my students because it's such a good example of a guy who was an executive, like CEO in a company, and his wife was murdered. And so, of course, the husband did it and the police arrest him. 
because his assistant had come to the police and said, he and I have been having an affair. And they're like, oh, well, there it is. Husband did it. And so they go to the guy and he goes, I'm not having an affair with her. And they ask her for proof. And she goes, oh, I have love letters. So she brings them to the police and the love letters were memos like hey could you make an appointment for me at three o'clock today thanks <laughs> right and right. so they're reading these letters out loud and they go wait right. she goes see he loves me right so for some people whatever you do or say right no matter what is going to feed that attention so it's like the line from dumb over. and from dumb and dumber you're saying like, i have a chance yes. so you're saying <laughs> so you're saying i have a chance right Exactly. That is exactly right. Some people will, will hear that no matter what you think you've gotten across. Right. So this is the book I used to teach out of when I taught interpersonal. And I recommended it to so many people over so many years. You've got to read The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. And I'll put the link on our website. And I'll also put links on our website when we talked about dating advice last week to my blog where I explain how to avoid dangerous people, what to do once they're in your life. And that's on our previous episode called Always Sit Next to a Male Stranger on a Bus. So, but I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that Gavin DeBecker says about how it is you should and shouldn't handle situations where you're being either obsessionally, relationshiply, uh, you know, intruded upon mm -hmm. or stalked, no matter what the technicality is. So one of the things that people will always advise you is go to the police, get the police to talk to him, and the police will always tell you to get a restraining order. Gavin DeBecker says, not so fast. He says whether or not you go to the police and get a restraining order is dependent on the, the investment into you as um, somebody that this person owns. And if you are someone that they believe that they own you, the restraining order is not likely to help. It is actually likely to escalate the situation. And he quotes how many women are standing on a courthouse steps, shot dead by their ex with a restraining order in their pocket. So if it is somebody at the beginning of a relationship where you've rejected, rejected, and they're still not leaving you alone, restraining orders might work. Now, I'm not going to go into further detail because I'm giving like legal life death advice, but the book goes into detail as to why you should maybe rethink a restraining order in some situations where they might not be appropriate. Okay. So let me start with rejecting someone because one of the things we do as women is like you said, we want to let them down easy, right? We don't want to embarrass them. We don't want to hurt their feelings. Right. The thing is that has gotten women into so much trouble. It has gotten us into so much physical trouble into relationships we don't want to be in up to and including and assaulted and, and murdered like if you are in a parking garage and there's an elevator and the guy who's on there before you get on there is giving you the creeps well don't fucking get on the elevator you know who cares if his feelings are hurt if his feelings are hurt fuck him he's probably gonna hurt you anyway any right. man that is not wishing you harm is gonna understand so hardening the target harden the target as in make it difficult for him to find you one of the things that people will say is get a new phone number and gavin de becker does not recommend that he says, keep the one you have, keep your contact info, but get a new phone and, and gradually give it to only a few people. Keep the other one that keeps a record of every message this person leaves you and every attempt they have to contact you. Resist the urge to keep telling them to leave you alone. The only thing you got to do is tell them one time explicitly, I want nothing to do with you anymore. Leave me alone. And he has a script to read. And if I can, I'm going to see if I have it memorized. And this is after you've tried to reject, okay? Don't lead with, you know, you're divorcing your husband of 12 years with this because it's going to sound really fucking harsh. 
I said this to my kids one time and they all fell out of their chairs. They're like, that's how you break up with someone. I said, no, it's not how you break up with someone. That's how you end all communication with someone once you've broken up and they won't leave you right alone. right i mean and i think it should be emphasized that not every guy is a stalker and not every it's hard to I don't agree with that i don't think it has to be emphasized i'm not saying every guy is a stalker i'm not no no no, no 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 here's what i was gonna say is i i do think that sometimes when you break up with guys they act stalkery but then they stop sometimes it's an initial reaction to not accept the well, then we have to also go back to stalking. Do they keep calling you and trying to find out why you don't want to be with them anymore? Do they find you on Facebook and message you on Instagram? That's not stalking. So right. if they right. drive by your house to see if someone's there, we're getting into a dangerous Right, situation. right. I'm just, I'm not okay. saying you're saying that. I'm just saying, let's just delineate that there's, there are phases in relationships where the male or the female is not willing to completely give it up. And they oh, may yeah. engage in some behavior that borderlines, but it's not necessarily time for the speech yet. But you can disagree with me. No. Yeah. I disagree with you in part. If you have broken up and done what you believe is made it very clear that you are not interested in this person and they continue to call you or continue to message you or continue to not accept your no as a rejection, then it is time for the little speech because oftentimes when you break up a guy will say you said you loved me but right. we, you you, you told me just the other day how much you enjoy being with me so part of the message must be no matter what you have thought or felt or what i've expressed until now i now know what i feel and that is that i don't want to be with you and i also am certain that i never will i guess now that you understand that you will move on as I will do because there's nothing else here. You know, that kind of a message. Now, it sounds really harsh. Yes, you're going to think I'm crazy. Now, there's an exact script in Gavin Becker's book, The Gift of Fear, where he's harsher than that. But the thing is, if you listen to it, if you read the message, that little speech is in no way mean or vicious or blamey or hateful. All it does is own the person's thoughts and feelings. I feel this. I feel that. And I'm going to move on. Because what people will hear if you try to say, I want to be friends, is they'll think, oh, I'll be your friend until you want to date me. Or right. I, I, I'm not interested in a relationship right now. They'll say, I'm going to hang around until you're ready for a relationship. Right. So it needs to be, no matter what I did before, I know how I feel. I'm not going to change my mind no matter what you do. So you need to stop calling me. Just, it needs right. to stop. So this, again, I need to come in and say, this is not victim blaming as people who do have uh, stalkers or ORI relationship intrusions into their lives. It's not their fault, but to say that we can't do anything about it as women or even as men, it's, it's just bullshit that we can't do anything about it. So we have to at least have tried to send that message of stop communicating with me because I'm not going to answer you. And one of the things that stalkers and people like that do is they will reach out a million times until you respond with, leave me alone. Then you have a communication. Every communication is seen as a victory. So after you say that speech, you can never respond again, ever, ever, no matter what they do. Like if they say, well, I'm going to message you 20 times. I'm going to call your mom. I'm going to whatever. That is the last time you have ever spoken to them. And and every time you tell them, I don't want to talk to you, you are talking to them. So if they send you 50 messages and then you respond with, leave me alone. Now I know 50 messages is what it takes for you to respond to me. So what Gavin Becker says is each time you don't respond 
a message is sent. You are giving them a communication that says, I am resisting your manipulation. That's the thing that's the most difficult. Anybody who's ever been on the receiving end of somebody who is pursuing them, whether that, that is for a friendship or a job or dating, whatever, it is very difficult to not respond. And so another thing you need to make sure to do is keep other people apprised. And that includes your friends, your family, and your coworkers that this person is stalking you. Because if they don't know, and that person calls up and asks for you, I was actually one time at the vets with one of my kitty cats. And there was this huge kerfluffle of people just talking loud back behind their thing. And, and I heard them talking about what had happened. There was a woman who came in with her dog who was being stalked by her ex-husband. And he figured out, oh, that's my vet. She's still at the vet. I can find her through the vet. So he had called before however long to find out when the next appointment was. And so the vet didn't know that they shouldn't tell him that the dog's appointment was that day and he confronted her outside the vet's office. Wow. I don't know. So they'll figure out a way. They'll figure out a way. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to tell your vet, but you might want to tell your vet or inform everybody that you make an appointment with. Now, generally what you have to wait for is that they need to latch onto somebody else. Right. Because without severe intervention, they don't change. They are who right. they are. Uh, the guy that wrote me the letter that said he had a new girlfriend, I seriously doubt he had a new girlfriend and he had a new stalking subject target mm -hmm. yeah like I, I do want to emphasize that if you really don't want somebody in your life you really have to not have them in, in your life you have to be committed to just letting it go and maybe you're going to look like the bad guy maybe there's going to be a person out in the world that thinks you're an asshole and you just have to live with that this is something that's sometimes really difficult for humans to get their minds around is I don't want that person to think badly of me I don't want to hurt their feelings I don't want them to feel bad to which I would say, stop trying to control them. You can't control their feelings. You can't control their thoughts. Right. You have to behave in a way that is healthy for you without harming them, but you can't control whether or not they're going to feel bad. Eventually, they're going to feel bad. And if you have somebody who, let's say, really wants to date you, only one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to break up or you're going to get married. And if you already know that number two is not going to happen, delaying that breakup is harmful for both of you. Right. And I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, you're going to hurt their feelings eventually. You know how many women don't want to hurt someone's feelings and actually marry the motherfucker and then wish they hadn't. And then they are invested and then that escalates. They have kids and then it's a million times worse. Yeah. So I get that we don't want to hurt someone's feelings, but trying to control someone's feelings is a very controlling behavior that we as women need to stop doing. You are not going to make people right. happy. You cannot control how other people feel or what they think of you. And in fact, what people think of you is none of your fucking business anyway. Let them go think it. Go off in their life and think it. It's their private thoughts anyway. And I would say that if you're spiraling to a point where you're showing up at places where somebody doesn't want you or you're circling their house or something like that, I think everybody in a relationship, especially when the relationship breaks up, there's that like desperate point or that point where you just feel like you're you're not in control you have to like seek therapy if you can't control it or figure out a way to control it because I, I do think that regular people fall into this stalking or the other uh, the technical term for what did you say the o o r i the o r i yeah o -R -I. yeah I think that can happen to anybody you remember the story? There was a woman whose uh, husband was having an affair. He was like a doctor and 
I think she had really sacrificed a lot for him to go to medical school. And, and then once he finally had a practice and became successful, he had an affair and wanted to break up with her. And uh, she ran over him with a car. I don't know if you remember this case. It was Houston, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. But this woman wasn't, I, I don't think she was like a crazy person. I think she was a person who was emotionally damaged, very seriously damaged by this relationship and brought to a point of desperation and just couldn't handle it. And I think lots of people find themselves in that situation where they've tied everything into the uh, relationship with someone or the potential relationship with someone and they, there's not a backup plan. It's like, if this doesn't happen, then my life mm -hmm. is over. And, and I think that feeling can be really- It's really one of the reasons why one of the sides of future abuse is somebody who uses language like, we will be together forever, no matter what, you know, until we die, which yes, that's a great goal, but that also doesn't recognize this other person gets to bail too. They get to leave your happy ass. You don't get to say, oh, but you said you loved me and you promised. Like, he promised. He promised he loved me and he was supposed to be with me forever. And I'm like, but people get to fucking change. Number one, people get to change. And number two, if Curtis decides he doesn't want to be with me because he doesn't love me anymore, there's the door. I don't want somebody sitting on the couch next to me who doesn't want to be there. It's a terrible, empty feeling. And it's better to be lonely alone than lonely in a relationship. I follow on Instagram, the.holistic.psychologist. It's a good follow. And she said this the other day, when we don't trust ourselves, we try to control the people around us. Now she said, unconsciously, I would say we could consciously try to control people around us. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of truth in that. What you just said about the woman who, you know, her husband left her after she put him through medical school. Well, that's really common. And I'm sorry, it blows, but people get to be assholes. You don't get to murder them with your car or shoot them in their beds like Betty Broderick, you know? He gets to be an asshole. You get to hate him. You get to feel how you feel, but you don't get to murder him. Just, I'm sorry, get some therapy and move on. Right. That That's the point where regular people kind of go south is when they get out of control over those types of emotions. And so while potential victims and victims can do things to protect themselves, I think that the people that are suffering from, from this also need to address it as well. Some people legit have mental issues, but some people are just regular folks that lose their minds temporarily. Crime of passion, as you might say. Yes. Now, there are people who get into situations that they, they don't realize what they're doing. I do understand that. And that's one of the reasons why education is so important. Just like we talked a few weeks ago about if you educate boys, then rape and sexual harassment drop dramatically. Mm -hmm. Same thing with this situation. I have had so many students say to me, until I took your class, I didn't know my behaviors were stalking behaviors. I didn't know that I wasn't taking no for an answer. You have to teach people how to accept a no or how to accept rejection and how to move on. And until you learn it, you don't know it. Right. And early on in our podcast, when we were experimenting with episodes, we did an episode about 1980s and 90s movies that propagate this idea that true love means you never accept no. What was the movie with um, the guy holding boombox? He's holding the boombox. Say anything. Boombox. Yeah. There's a bunch of examples of movies, even now where somebody rejects you and you just don't accept no for an answer and true love will prevail eventually. And so this is an idea in our culture in particular that if a man really wants a woman, he's going to pursue her no matter what. 
and break her down. And he has to prove his love. Yeah. So it's no wonder that people believe it. And I do still think that people believe the idea that, well, she says no, but she really doesn't mean it. She's playing hard to get. And sometimes people are doing that. So it, it can be confusing. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. And Gavin Becker, whose book is The Gift of Fear, that it will change your life and will save your life. I want to teach a class to boys and girls about relationships and breakups. And I'm not going to title that class. I'm letting him down easy because girls need to learn how to reject and boys need to learn how to hear it. Of course, both boys and girls need to learn both sides of that. But once you learn it, then it becomes, oh, that's what this is. And that's one of the things about when you learn new things, you can reflect back on your previous shit and go, well, I didn't do right back then, but I'm going to do better now. I'm not going to obsessively stand in front of someone's work to prove I love them anymore. That turns out that's not love. You know? <laughs> <laughs> turns out that creeps everyone out. Yeah. Turns out that's really not good. Like, yeah. yeah, but I would welcome men and women to read that book because you recognize yeah. your behaviors as well. Yeah, I, I agree. And I was even thinking as you were talking about times that I've been rejected and I think there's two ways to handle it. If you're inexperienced at getting rejected, I, you know, I'm pretty experienced at it, but if you're inexperienced at it, it can make you angry. But as I've gotten older, I've, I've figured out that, okay, so this person rejected a friendship with me or a relationship with me. Good. They were definitive. I wasn't the person for them. How much worse would it have been if they were like, well, maybe next week we can get together. And they're just like constantly stringing me along, stringing me along. And then I'm like, what's going on? I thought we wanted, you know. So I think think because people want to focus on being nice when being kind is more important. And so a rejection can be the kind thing to do, even though it feels mean, it's not. So if you know that you don't want to be with that person or be friends with that person, then the time is now, end it now. Don't just yeah. oh, him and haw and maybe I don't know and then give them hope and no, we need to learn to just draw a line and it's it's done. But again, I think it also is on us to learn how to accept rejection, not to look for rejection in every corner and go, right. oh my God, they didn't call me back in five minutes. They don't love me. Right. But to, when you're rejected to go, oh, okay, that's uh, all right. I guess they don't want to be with me and, da, 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 and you move on and don't take it to where you know, I need them to just be with me no matter what. No, like they get to be happy too. They get to be with somebody who loves them, but they've done you a favor because you get to find somebody who wants to be with you too. You don't want to make them be with you when they don't want to be with you. That's crazy. That's unfulfilling as fuck. I I can say this equivocally 100% always never chase people. Never chase people. If you pursue someone and they reject you, move on. I just don't think it it ever benefits you to continue to pursue someone after they've made it clear they're not interested. That's friendship, family member, whoever. It it never works. It's never going to result in what you want. And in fact, if you have accidentally creeped someone out (laughs) with your behavior, pulling back might actually increase your chances of getting a positive result. It's true. Yeah, it's true. All right. Um, are we about done? I think so. I think we've advised, even though we're not a self-help show, we've... If you want to ignore this, fine. Oh, one more thing. So, yeah, there is a fascinating book called In His Sights. It was written under a you know, pen name, 
because the woman who wrote it had been stalked and was continuing to be stalked by her ex-boyfriend for 10 years or something. And so she wrote this and changed some identifying factors and names and stuff, but it's a true story. And first of all, her publisher had to verify everything with police reports and real names and everything. And the New York Times said they met with her, investigated all the police reports and everything, and that, yes, this is true. I think it started in the late 80s, maybe, and she's very, very rich. And so when she left him, he just used all his money and resources to always find her and to do things like he canceled a forwarding um, address of her mail and he got her electricity cut off and her credit card. Like he would just do anything he could do to ruin her life years and years and years and years and years. And then it would go away for a while and then it would start up again and go away for a while and start up again. So that's a good book if you're interested. It's called In His Sights. All right, you've been listening to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie. Thanks for listening. So if you really liked what we did today, or even if you didn't, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. And please write us a funny review. We're going to eventually remember to read those reviews on this show. I promise. Subscribe on our website, fearthispodcast.com, for exclusive content, which might include hearing a story about a creepy stalker that I cut out of today's podcast and other life-changing content. Yes, it will change your life. Like I mentioned, it can be a slow process, but it will happen over time. Might burn a little at first. Yeah, a little itching, numbness. (laughs) There's a salve for that, though. You'll be fine. The salve is giving us five stars and continuing. (laughs) All of a sudden, you'll feel so much better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) All All right, right. till next time. Bye-bye. Later. Thank you.